Well, welcome to Worship Quest Wednesdays. Today, we are joined by Dr. Eric Savar and Dr. Majid Abel to discuss global worship and witness, especially in the Pakistani context. Eric and Majid are friends of mine and great men who have served the church for many years. Dr. Majid Abel is an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church of Pakistan uh, for the past 29 years, and the last 20 of those years, he has served at Nalaka Presbyterian Church in Lahore. He is the moderator for the Presbyterian Church of Pakistan, chairman of Gujanwala Theological Seminary in Gujanwala, and chairman of the Presbyterian Medical Board. Uh, welcome, Majid. Glad you're here. Thank and you. Dr. Thank Eric you, Savar is a musician, minister, and missiologist. He holds a PhD in cultural intercultural studies from Fuller Theological Seminary. He is the lead pastor at Artesia City Indo-Pak Church in Southern California and is the founding president of the Tehalim School of Church Music and Worship in Pakistan. Welcome, Eric. Thank you very much, Stephen. It's indeed a pleasure to be with you again. And yeah. uh, we are looking forward for this conversation. Right. Let me share a little bit about how I met both of you. I met uh, Majid and his family in 2016 when I was visiting Lahore, Pakistan. They opened up their home to me. They showered me with kindness and hospitality and great conversation about ministry and the church. Um, we even had some late night ice cream runs uh, to the local ice cream shop. And so uh, wonderful family and a wonderful man of God. And I thank you for uh, your friendship. And thank you. Thank you. It was the feeling is mutual, brother. Oh, great. Thank you. I met Eric a few years before that. Um, I can't even remember the exact year, probably 2012. 2012, yes. Florida, IWL. Um, yeah. And um, a few years after meeting Eric and spending time and doing some ministry together, he approached me and asked about translating my book, Worship Quest, into Urdu. And of course, I was honored by that request. And I said, yes. And um, as Eric is really good at doing, he jumped on that opportunity to say, why don't you then come to Pakistan and be the keynote speaker at our Tehalim worship symposium? And so I prayed about it and the Lord made it very clear. Yes, go to Pakistan. And uh, that was that time in 2016 when I met Majid and his family and so many other wonderful uh, Pakistani brothers and sisters. Um, and our relationship, Eric, uh, has just, I believe, flourished over the years, doing a lot of ministry together, um, a trip to Pakistan together, trip to Dubai together, uh, doing conferences and ministry here in Southern California, where we both live. Um, uh, your family has also welcomed me into your home. Uh, your wife makes wonderful Pakistani breakfast. Uh, I just love that. And so thank you. God bless you. Thank you, Stephen. It's indeed a pleasure. And you know, we are all called to serve. And sometimes when I meet uh, crazy people like me, so I felt that um, I'm not alone, actually. So <laughs> I'm yeah, not the really only weird. There are lots of other weirdos around here. So. That's right. That's right. Uh, we need to have our own tribe. Yeah. Know, so. Together. Right. Well, I want to uh, talk today about global worship and witness um, to think a little bit outside of the box, to remind ourselves that we live in a world in which God loves so much that he sent his son to die. Um, and not just for people like me, but people all over this world. And so as I gather for worship with my church here in Southern California, each and every Sunday, I like to be reminded that there are brothers and sisters around the globe who are gathering as well to worship the same God. Um, and I just love that about who God is, that he welcomes people of every ethnicity, of every tribe and language, and desires to have a personal relationship with them. 
I want to know more about how brothers and sisters around the globe are living and worshiping. And so that's why I wanted to spend some time here talking about our brothers and sisters in Pakistan. So Majid, uh, since you are currently living in Pakistan still, uh, why don't you tell us what it's like for the Christian, the average Christian who's living in Pakistan today? Uh, thank you. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the Christian uh, history of Christianity in Pakistan goes 150, 160, maximum 170 years back. Uh, thankfully, uh, very uh, devout, very committed uh, men and women who have uh, uh, very faithfully uh, served Jesus Christ and they are out of their faith, uh, faced, have faced a lot of ups and downs, many crises and difficulties and persecution. But I think one of the most faithful communities uh, living for their faith. Hmm. Uh, recently, uh, I think, uh, you know, there, there are two uh, sides that we can mention that uh, on one side, every day there is life happening. We we live among very uh, very modest, very good people of God who are not Christians, but they have good hearts. We celebrate life with them. We live in communities together. But at the same time, uh, there are uh, uh, situations where life uh, becomes hard, threatening, and... Uh, uh, there are some people who are living more in a more privileged situation, but uh, a large number of people who are living in a very vulnerable situation. So Pakistan is among the probably top five, six uh, persecution countries. Uh, we have uh, uh, the uh, issue of uh, forced marriages. Uh, we have... Uh, uh, persecution because of faith. We still have uh, uh, the issue of uh, social uh, uh, stigma because the Christians in Pakistan, majority of them came from very uh, low, very unacceptable uh, communities of the, the land socially and uh, financially. Uh, still um, a lot of uh, a lot of people living in those conditions so we have a uh, you know a very uh, very complex uh, uh, kind of situation where uh, it's a challenge to live as uh, a believer every day uh, there is a uh, blasphemy law still dangling like a sword over your head all the time mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and yet I, I still want to say that I do not want to close my eyes to the to the goodness we experience every day as well yeah. so so that's uh, that's where the church uh, in Pakistan stands today we have our struggles and we have our joys great I'm a firm believer that within both joy and struggle, um, that we can see the goodness of God in, in all of that. Um, and sometimes within the struggle and the hardship, uh, that goodness of God is exemplified. It's, it's magnified to the point to where uh, there's no denying that this is God's work and God's hand. And I think a, a great way to respond to hardship and struggle and um, disappointment, um, persecution is through music and worship, right? Uh, through prayer, through singing. Um, we see this throughout scripture where even the prophet Habakkuk says, uh, even though all these bad things are happening in life, yet I will praise the Lord. We see it with Paul and Silas in prison, right? They are, they are in chains in prison. And what do they do? They sing hymns of praise to the Lord. 
Um, and they didn't do that because they thought that they would be able to be released because of that. They didn't know a, a big earthquake would come and, and loosen the chains. And uh, they did that because that's the correct response. Yet I will praise. So, Eric, why don't you tell us a little bit about Christian church music and worship in Pakistan, and not just in Pakistan, but other Indo-Pak contexts um, and the diaspora. Well, Stephen, thank you very much. This is indeed a, a hot topic, which we need also to talk about it. But concerning the framework of this conversation, as you have framed in the global worship perspective, so let to me, Pakistan voice and also the perspective of what the church is doing in Pakistan, especially in the area of music and worship. Uh, comparatively, we all know that since the um, liturgical reformation, Vatican Council II, that has been localized and it has been commissioned to localize um, uh, contacts. They may use uh, uh, their, uh, their cultural and local resources. Uh, new discipline. Uh, and globally, but also in Pakistan as well. Uh, well, uh, I will um, I will take these three uh, basic terms which you have mentioned: church number one, music number two, and worship number three. So, as Dr. Abel uh, mentioned around the historical context of the Indo-Pak, where Saint Thomas tradition is still being accepted and um, uh, and it's validated. Um, however, in my perspective, actually uh, starting from Saint Thomas. Um, when we come to the 6th century, the from 1st century St. Thomas tradition, then come to 6th century Nestorian context, then we come to the Mughal era to the, uh, through the uh, Portuguese and the colonial time frame. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have any continued tradition of all these three historical traditions. Mm. So the current church is actually a fruit of mid-19th century of a reformed, like a, a Presbyterian Church of North America, then a, a Scottish mission, and then some Roman Catholic endeavors, uh, primarily Punjabi Christians, because uh, myself, Dr. Abel, and the majority of the Christians belong to Punjab and Punjabi-speaking church. So the current church is actually third and fourth generation of um, uh, Christian believers who have been converted through mass movement. And uh, uh, there are various resources available on that, that side. So actually, we are a third and fourth generation of Punjabi-speaking reformed tradition, uh, mm. Christianity, which we are in Pakistan right now. Since if we jump on after 1947, when the partition happened, and then we as a Pakistani church fall into majority Muslim context. And now we are only 1.7 according to the uh, government stats, or if I go back to the to the, to the non-official, almost in the 20, 22 million of population, I, I hope if I'm not wrong, that Dr. Abel may correct me. Uh, so we are very, very, uh, very low ratio living uh, in, in the primarily Muslim context. So that is actually our cultural context right now. So you're so, saying 1.7% of the population in Pakistan are Christian. That's what um, public or the government official stats. I will I will stick to the 3%. That's okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, okay. three, uh, we can say that three. Up to 3% yes. is yeah. Christian. It's Christian. Which is still a pretty small percentage of it the is. population in Pakistan. Indeed, yes. So yeah. that is church. Now, when, when I uh, extend that uh, framework and say that, okay, what kind of church? So we have, we are Roman Catholic traditional church. We have Presbyterians, Anglicans, Baptist, Salvation Army, and then the Pentecostal movement, you know. So, so they, they're all present there. So uh, the most interesting part, what I would say that <laughs> it's interesting, might, might be, it's, it's, uh, it's my, my observation might be mostly people differ around that. We have only a perspective of Christianity in Pakistan, which is Western dominant, because all major Western mission players from the West, and that take us only to 500 years old Christianity rather than the full picture of 2000 years of Christianity. So we have actually a, a half picture of Christianity or the church in Pakistani context. That's number one. Now let's come to the music. When we talk about music, uh, that's uh, another uh, interesting point that whether we are a Muslim, whether we are a Christian, Hindu, Sikh, whoever we are in the Indian subcontinent, the music repertoire and the music pedigree is the same, which is more than 3000 years old Indian classical raga based Indian 
music. So, uh, so church music, uh, Muslim music, Hindu music, rather it's a bhajan, rather it's a kirtan, rather it's a naat or nasheed or kawali, or whether it's a geet or whether it's a ghazal, whatever secular sound, whatever, we use the same music, same notation, same scale, and same emotional aesthetic theory to use that music. So that's what is our shared culture and the music culture which I say. Worship. So worship is it's interesting because we are living in 97% um, uh, Muslim context, but we are largely influenced by a Hindu uh, traditions also mm. and some some uh, some Sikh traditions also because as I mentioned earlier, we are just third or fourth generation of of converts from um, the social outcast majority of majority of, of the Christians. So that stigma is still, as Dr. Abel mentioned, are with us. So worship is very complicated over there. We adopt lots of lots of practices from our culture rather than from scripture or rather than from uh, uh, what uh, what Bible says about. We take the theological uh, concepts uh, however, our practices, public practices, are predominantly culturally dominant. So this is a, actually a, just a picture of uh, worship and music in Pakistan. Um, however, used instrumentalization, local instrument, we use tabla, harmonium, sometime now in, the, in the urban and rural it is different. Urban churches have a lot of resources, they have like guitars or they have sound systems, they have a, uh, like a contemporary style, you know, global worship and um, um, hosannas. Um, uh, this is style of um, uh, Hillsong style, you know, Don Moen movement, all these kind of, they influence a lot in, in Pakistani context also. So we have both rural and urban and then traditional and contemporary style of worship we have. And um, and that's what, uh, uh, what, uh, what we do. But anyway, uh, Eric, having... let me ask you this. How did some of those uh, Western worship songs like Hillsong or Don Moen, how did that get to Pakistan? Is it internet? Is it missionaries coming in and bringing that music? Uh, Dr. Abel, would you like to respond to that? Well, um, of course, uh, it's um, now the world has become a very uh, small village and uh, there's a lot of interaction between communities. Uh, uh, I think maybe um, Almost same number of uh, Pakistani Christians now lives around the world as in Pakistan, and uh, they have uh, families uh, back home. They they uh, they travel, uh, you know, back and forth. Uh, there's a lot of interaction with the international world. So now uh, we have, uh, on one hand, we have very traditional uh, bhajan uh, style worship of uh, in which. Uh, uh, which is basically uh, psalms sung in Punjabi, and then also we have uh, uh, English music. So rural church, uh, rural church, still uh, very much uh, deeply um, uh, intrinsically connected with psalms, and so is the urban church. But yes, there's English music also. Yeah. yeah. So I remember being in your living room with your daughter who has a beautiful singing voice, singing a Hillsong song mm -hmm. in English. Um, so if a Hillsong song is done in your church, is it primarily done in English or are you translating it into Urdu and singing it in your native language as well? Well, uh, I think, um... A long time ago, songs were translated into Urdu, and now, uh, especially in the urban churches now, there's more education, more people uh, speak and understand English. Um, there's a, a certain class of people who are more comfortable with English. So um, uh, there's not much translation is now done. We any now there a lot of Pakistani original uh, people uh, writing original songs also. Good. So, Great. so, so that's. Um, I recently I see a very uh, uh, interesting rise in gospel singers in Pakistan. Oh, wonderful! And uh, in last uh, couple years, I have made it a point to encourage them. We do different uh, worship programs, concerts, invite them. You know, uh, as um, 
as as uh, as called uh, ministers. We we invite them and we you know uh, we try to uh, to to convey a message that if we need gospel singers, they they need to be taken care of. You know, just like ministers, pastors, and other ministries in the church. Right. So, it, so we have now very good gospel singers uh, who are emerging on their own. They are recording songs, making cassettes, videos, and publishing on uh, social media. And then I think that church needs to, at this time, give encouraging and helping hand as well. So we are trying to do that. Good. Very good. Yeah, Stephen, responding to your question, I think the era which I raised up, um, it was the era before internet. And um, so like 90s and you know that era. So we were totally dependent upon uh, at that time, cassettes might be, <laughs> might be our, uh, our, our X or Y generation doesn't know about these cassettes. <laughs> Uh, you know, so so we were used to having cassettes came in, and then after cassette, there was a time of um, uh, CDs, mm -hmm. and when computer emerged, then there was the floppy disks, and uh, and from floppy disks to uh, to USB, then tele, then the phone came, then internet. So so that's how gradually we actually in each era, whatever the resources available, to engage and having these global impact. So, uh, so I think that cross borders uh, uh, through through that through that mediums. So, and now internet, as Dr. Abel mentioned, the world is open now. So. Absolutely. Yeah, good. So, tell us about the Psalms. I know, Eric, this is a passion of yours. Um, how are the Psalms utilized in Pakistan? Um, well, I'll, I'll let Dr. Abel start, and then I will take lead from there. Okay. Well, I agree with you. This is Eric's, uh, Dr. Eric's uh, service passion. But if you're a Punjabi, Psalms are your passion. Great. And uh, uh, Psalm is a very intrinsic part of Punjabi worship. Uh, our worship is not complete without singing Psalms. Uh, we sing Psalms on funerals. We sing Psalm on all our happy occasions, on Thanksgiving services, uh, for every occasion. Uh, as a pastor, you know, over the years i've uh, seen that no matter how hard hit people are with grief on funerals the moment we give a call everybody stops crying and they start singing psalms mm -hmm. these psalms have so much uh, meaning uh, you know for people uh, the underlying uh, uh, truth that uh, motivates us is uh, you know as it says in um, Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. And with your blood, you purchased men for God, for every tribe and language and people and nation. Mm -hmm. And being purchased, you know, with blood, it has, uh, it is the motivation. This is, this is what uh, makes us uh, who we are. And I think Pakistani Christians have one very unique uh, quality that the more persecuted, persecuted they are, the more they go to church. The more threat mm -hmm. is there at the church of terrorism and all, the more people go to church. Wow. And, uh, and uh, this, is, uh, this is the, uh, the state of uh, spirituality among Punjabi Christians. And, and Psalms, Psalms have been the major source of preparing uh, people for that. Uh, Psalms, when we sing Psalms, uh, that's how God speaks to us, reveals God himself to us, and then we express mm -hmm. ourselves through these words. If somebody doesn't know how to pray, is not comfortable praying, they start singing psalms. Right. You know, to connect, to communicate with God. This is the most beautiful language. What a gift we have as Punjabi believers. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Abel, for connecting this. Well, I, I will um, uh, frame it in a, in a four terms number one theological liturgical ecclesiastical or ecumenical and then missional so so number one uh, the primary purpose of the book of psalm was actually producing a local repertoire uh, which 
newly nascent community which were just converted in the late 20th century in Pakistan so that they may sing their own language. As mentioned earlier, prior to that, there were a few Western approach, you know, everywhere, wherever Western missionary went, they brought the white man burdens and also their culture and the songs and the hymns and everything. And so that's that's what I, I, I mostly say in various forums that Indian Pakistani or at that time British India was a unique context where these all Western, uh, 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 I would say that Western approach to the local music totally failed. And that was the only context. Otherwise, you go wherever you find all majority of Western hymns and singing, they are translated and they are sing. We have very few in Pakistan. Uh, the reason is the local language and local music, which which was in, which was embedded in their DNA. So that's the number one purpose of the Punjabi Psalms, uh, uh, that producing local repertoire and also giving uh, giving the newly community their own linguistic. Uh, a voice actually uh, um, and their and their vernacular to worship God that was number one however uh, later on although that was a hard work and product of uh, Presbyterian missions uh, with the help of the lyrical poetry with Dr. Imam Din Shabazz and the musical arrangement with the Hindu uh, singer and a musician Radha Kishan. So number on its uh, its uh, its formative period, it was interfaith collaboration. <laughs> Interestingly, oh, yeah. because at that time we didn't have any any Christian resource or artist over there. Even uh, Imam Din Shabazz was a Shia Muslim convert. So that's interesting that how Shiite uh, emotional language, uh, you know that. Uh, uh, plugged in into the Punjabi translation. Wow. So anyway, so that's another uh, uh, angle. Uh, uh, but anyway, so that was the theological purpose, liturgical, ecumenically, although it was a product of Presbyterian, but since past decades and the cent over the century, it is an ecumenical book now. So whether it's a, a Baptist, whether you're a Roman Catholic, whether you are a Pentecostal, whoever you are, as mentioned earlier, 90% Christianity in Pakistan, they are from Punjabi background. So that's how Punjabi and Punjabi Psalm. So Punjabi worship and Pakistani worship without Punjabi Psalm is incomplete. That's that's the that's the role in whatever denomination you are. Now the uh, Eric, can I can I ask you a question? Yes. You say Punjabi Psalms. So if you're not in the Punjab region and you're singing a psalm, is it still Punjabi? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Although in Pakistan, according to philological uh, data, there are more than 75 cultural languages in Pakistan, but predominantly uh, because through local immigration and global immigration, lots of Punjabis, they migrated for educational or ecumenical or the economical, economical reason to other part of the country mm -hmm. as well. Whether they are living in Khaver Pakhtunkhwa or Koita or whether ever even Karachi in Urdu speaking, I belong to Karachi, but still um, because our forefathers mostly they migrated from Punjab. So that's why they still speak in Punjabi. Although as, are... as, as Eric, with you, just a second. First, the Psalm, the book of Psalms was translated into Urdu. But nobody knows about it. Nobody cares about it. Later, they translated into Punjabi. And before they know, it was being sung at uh, fairs, melas, and, uh, and homes, and community events. And it just became popular. So the Punjabi, for us, when we talk about Psalms, it means that Punjabi version. Okay. Yeah. Do you have, is there any research as to why the Punjabi translation of the Psalms took off and became popular and the Urdu did not? Is Punjabi, or is the Punjabi language more poetic maybe to fit with the Psalms better? No, it's because it's, it's our, it's our, you can say like tribal, Okay. you know, it's our, our mother tongue. It's, it's a very beautiful example of indigenous, uh, you know, uh, faith. Yeah. And it just spoke the language, the feeling, the sentiment of okay. our heart, our okay. soul. Yeah. You know, it connects our soul. Good. You know. Yeah. yeah. So addition, addition to that, actually, there are two factors which played a great role for the Punjabi Psalter. Number one was because the Presbyterian missions were in uh, in Sialkot and in Amritsar. Mm -hmm. 
and they both were in the north in the north uh, north indian context not the south i'm not talking about south i'm talking about north indian context so the two mission center were in sialkot and amritsar that was uh, one reason another reason was because of the, uh, the the work of the holy spirit and the mass conversion mass movement which started in the late 20th century that was in punjab region so mm-hmm. that's why as dr dr abel mentioned earlier that urdu they tried because they thought like the other part of the north india uh, that might be work but it didn't work out because the primary audience the primary uh, conversion was from the from the north punjab north indian side nice. of the punjabi punjabi region Therefore, and there the- was one uh, of course there was one other reason that the urdu version they used english uh, tunes oh, okay. uh, and for punjabi salter then they went to the the mystic mysticism bhajans uh like uh, dr eric servers were mentioning mm-hmm. that that's that's what local uh spiritual spirituality you know uh stood at yeah and and another major factor is uh, uh, after a week our traditional more than 140 years i'm if i'm not wrong sialkot convention is starting so oh, so yeah. that sialkot convention plays a great role also and that's interesting my documentary is already available which i mentioned how how does the sialkot convention 1908 and um, all the few start from 1904 but that for the different purpose anyway so 1908 sialkot convention and 1908 published version of the punjabi psalms in a western oh. edition they they both come together so that that's actually sialkot convention played a great role also and the christian schools and and christian communities they played a great role actually for the for the punjabi psalms but when we talk about a contemporary use of psalms uh, as mentioned earlier living in 97% muslim con- context now uh that is what my uh contribution and my proposal that book of psalms not only in pakistani context but in a global context have been muted and ignored for its uh, missional engagement because we totally use book of psalm only for our personal piety or for our congregational worship rather than we actually forgot or ignored the global call of worship as a witness to the ethnes to the nation to the gaul the the the, the greek word or the hebrew word which used for the nations over there so so that's uh, uh, that's uh, actually now is shifting gears now actually how can we use book of psalm as a missional engagement in our pakistani context mm-hmm. have you come up with uh, the conclusion of that question so what is the answer how can we use psalms in a global context well the- well psalm is already in a global context you know <laughs> they are already there right. the, the issue is how we are using whether we are only um, uh, using it only for our own personal piety personal spiritual pedigree or are we using it to fulfill the actual purpose if we read the book of psalms although well i'm not going to jump in in the in the, in the actual uh, formation of the book of psalm but we but we say there are lots of lots of psalms which point out that nations worship you people worship you and even the concept of the great commission and the picture in the book of revelation of all the nations and language and ethnic city they adopted from book of psalm actually sure. that the concept sure. is adopted from the psalms Right. So that's what uh, what I realized that the global church actually uh, need to unfold unpack release the potential of the psalms to engage in their missional engagements. Sure. Now talk to us a little bit about how there can be dialogue between Christians and Muslims using the psalms. Well Dr. Majid Abel had a lots of experience in that uh Well uh I think this is one uh one of the common areas where it's most easy to to converse together mm-hmm. because uh, the uh, the book of psalms is uh, is acceptable to 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 muslims uh, whenever we have worship together i we have had many times have people from uh, majority community who come visit our church sit with us in worship service and the comments are always you know christians are worshiping you know they're singing hum hum is praise and uh, so i think the psalms is very probably the the most uh, uh, effective way to connect uh, 
you know, it, 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 it speaks of the spirituality that we are familiar with. Yeah. And Stephen, so, if you if you want to take a more, take a more academic empirical research, if you are looking for that, you have to read my dissertation. It's it's, it's the, the book is publishing soon. So okay, when, <laughs> because I took I took I, I, uh, taking uh, taking advantage uh, from Dr. Majid's uh, link is um, uh, there are three areas which I covered and experimented psalms. Number one, Muslim scholars. Number one, Muslim Sufis, and number three, Muslim singers. So scholars, Sufis and singers, they all agreed, as Dr. Abel said, that that's a common shared book, Zabur and Daud salam, the most reverent and the most mentioned name, 16 times Daud mentioned and Zabur mm -hmm. mentioned in the Quran. So, so that's interesting. And, you know, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the academic discipline and the exploration and investigation has, the documentary investigation has not been done properly on the Book of Psalms. That's the major reason this, that that book has been muted. But now it's unfolding. Lots of global uh, partners are researching. They are working on that. And uh, lots of new work is coming on Book of Psalms. Great. So you mentioned that Muslims accept the Psalms, so they, they accept it as divine inspiration. Yes. yes. Um, talk to us a little bit about why that is, without giving us too big of a, a history lesson. Okay, uh, let's start with Dr. Abel and then I will jump in. Okay, well, this is uh, one of the one of the uh, inspirational books that Muslim faith accepts. Psalms is one of those. So it's part of their faith. Right. Yeah. So, so they see the psalmist, whether it's David or anybody else, yeah. as Psalm, being yeah. used by Allah yes. you know, to, to write this down for us. Okay. Yeah. So, if you want my if you want my perspective, there are various convergences um, uh, which which I see and and my research. Uh, as we, so, I will just give you first three, and there are there are actually long list, but um, as you mentioned, I'm not going to over there. But anyway, it's a whole course. <laughs> so, uh, the, the three uh, 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 what what I will say that uh, the the convergences are number one, three R. I will take three R now. Uh, You're a very good pastor. All starting with the same letter. I'm just narrowing, narrowing down, although it's more than three. Anyway, so <laughs> and there are divergences also, but I will focus on convergences right now. So number one is, uh, it's a revealed text that, as Dr. Abel mentioned, that only four books mentioned the chain of the revelation in the Muslim context. The Muslim uh, uh, concept of the revelation is that God has given only four books to the uh, in a monotheistic religion number one was Torah number two was Zabur which is Psalms to David and number three was Injil and number four was Quran to Prophet Muhammad so that was what what their chain of uh, uh, revealed text so Zabur came to the second part so that's revealed number two recitation second R and this is recitation is chanting that's where their maqam and the middle eastern style uh, for reciting and the uh, ilmul tajweed tajweed is how you uh, how you use various phonetics while you are reciting the psalm uh, reciting quran so number two is uh, uh, recitation and and how that fall into the proper science of reciting quran not only just anybody can go and and recite that one that's a proper teaching and the pedigree and the pedagogical style over there that's number number two r so number one revelation number two recitation and number three is uh, uh, which the last one which I, I I'm skipping four more it's a reconciliation because the concept of reconciliation is is powerful uh, uh, in the in the Quran and also the book of Psalm proposes uh, through through lament through uh, through confession and through coming in God's presence in humility and humbleness that's how we uh, we reconcile uh, reconcile uh, with our creator not only with our creator both horizontal and vertical actually yeah. uh, that we engage with the community as well so these are various convergences uh, which are there so so that's 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 a short answer to your question so it, it seems like the Psalms are a key aspect of having dialogue between Muslims and Christians. I would say affirmity, a firm 100% affirmity. Yeah. yeah. Good. Well, actually, uh, just say that 
dialogue for dialogue there are a lot of other uh, areas also available uh, some is where we don't need dialogue where we agree we we accept each other right right and um, and i think uh, psalms is um, for for especially pakistani uh, uh, christians punjabi christians uh, predominantly it is um, it, it 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 is revelation of god it is our our place to connect with god it is our place to come together as community and uh, you know to express our uh, uh, our uh, faith yeah who we are you know and with who we are in god in jesus christ what is our place right. sounds it elevates us what yeah. one of the things that i really um connected with majid was when you said when someone in your church is hurting so deeply that they don't know what to say they just begin to sing the psalms i think that's amen. beautiful yeah amen so what kind of training is currently available in pakistan for church musicians and worship leaders Most, you, like here in the United States and, you know, other parts of the world, especially here in the States, it seems like every Christian university and college is doing some sort of music and worship training program, you know, now, whether it's a certificate or a degree that you can get in music and worship. Um, what's available in Pakistan for church leaders, uh, musicians, worship leaders? Most people in Pakistan are self-taught. uh and uh, i think uh, eric received some training at home but mostly he is self taught also but doctor can tell you more about what's happening now uh just recently uh, we are uh, in conversation um, especially now that we have uh, a very uh, skilled expert uh, available uh and uh, so the 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 cultural theological seminary we have been uh, praying about and now very close to starting uh, a gujrawala theological seminaries uh, uh, center for uh, music and worship uh, theology is that eric yeah uh, uh, that's that's what dr abel uh, <laughs> i was still uh, it's still in conversation yes uh, well um, if dr abel finish i can um, i can but also uh, i want to appreciate uh, dr eric uh, servers efforts uh, of uh, promoting music christian music through tehleem and his personal uh, passion and efforts mm-hmm. uh, i hope that uh, in future we can uh, uh, we can do work, do more work together and uh, using his skills and his passion and then also uh, uh, connecting uh, this you know all those uh, the, the the gift and talent we have back home uh maybe uh maybe now we are at a place where we can do more organized uh, planned work on it mm-hmm. okay. yes well in in response to your question and um, uh, um, i would agree with dr abel that mostly the the music education is more traditional as i mentioned earlier it's a, it's a guru shiksha uh, kind of a traditional uh, pattern which we have for uh, for a musical education which is a kind of a, a apprentice style Uh, which is not in a classroom style it is more living with your guru or spending more time and uh, and following his uh, prompts and uh, his style and his uh, riyaz it's another technical word which we use for a practice and then then, then how they improvise that that's a totally traditional uh, concept of a musical education however for church musicians sadly unfortunately yes we never ever have uh, that that kind of a discipline in our theological schools as i mentioned earlier even in the western academia it's comparatively 50 years old discipline it's not it's not it's not 
not like uh, you can compare it with the theological education or a philosophy philosophy in the universities and colleges and it's a result of uh, uh, liturgical reforms and the Vatican Council second two and then the whole floodgate open to the Western world even so I think we are still close we are only 25 years behind you guys so <laughs> so we are reaching there uh, so uh, I, I give you just one example that 25 years ago uh, almost 25 I think yes I graduated 2002 I started 1999 in the Gujanwala seminary and since then the the seed the vision of having this kind of academic discipline at theological curricula was uh, was a dream and the Halim School of Church Music and Worship with the support and uh, and a sacrificial generosity of Dr. Arthur James our former principal and also moderator emeritus uh, uh, of PCP he played a great role to developing this school in Karachi and now uh, I think um, as Dr. Abel mentioned uh, currently and there are dozens of seminaries and Bible schools and, and, and colleges in Pakistan. But because of the death of uh, a trained or academic person or to how to go there, we don't have that discipline. But Dr. Abel, a vision and we are in conversation. And I hope as a century ago, Presbyterian Church started and provided, give a gift of Punjabi Psalms to the, to the whole generation. Gujranwala Theological Seminary is offering and giving another gift to our nation and to coming generation. And hopefully it will be inaugurated soon. Yeah, that's great. I love that idea. You do not have to share anything more, but are there any final thoughts that you have as we're wrapping up our time together? Um, anything that maybe you'd like to share with someone who's watching this, who is learning more about uh, Pakistan uh, Christians? brothers and sisters and how we can be praying for the church? Well, uh, I, um, I also want to say um, just a few encouraging words for you also that um, your passion for worship and music and uh, especially through this uh, program that um, I have uh, listened to, uh, to the liberty of, you know, checking out a couple programs and I was impressed. God bless you. Uh, Global worship is, I think, the ultimate purpose of God. That every ethnic people group worship God. And uh, Punjabi Christians, American uh, worshippers, you know, music is what is probably the most uniting force. It connects us, no matter who we are, where we are from. When we stand together, when we worship, we experience oneness. And uh, this is the this is the blessing. This is the richness that God has uh, put in play in, in uh, worship, and uh, uh, and 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 may we, you know, as church, uh, do more. More worship is a celebration of God's presence in uh, in our midst. It is His presence that makes worship effective not talent, not our, not our skills. And uh, uh, the humility that's, that is needed to, you know, come to God, you know, comes when we, when we see God's power, God's majesty. Mm. And thank you for sharing this message and focusing on this uh, to prepare uh, worshipers, mm. worshipers, not, uh, not, vocalists who are who who have extra skills but worshipers who who connect with god you know and that's the most important thing for them so thank you god bless you amen thank you yeah and uh, thank you very much Stephen. once again i always appreciate uh, your passion and your ministry as well and becoming a partner for with the tahleem and with the pakistan and we hope that this global partnership will be continue until we are living and even the next generations uh, it will carry on the carry on the uh, uh, the baton over there but concerning your program the title of your program i will just giving a few concluding thoughts uh, about as a worship as a witness as we see that since the since the since the temple in the garden which we see that in the garden of eden the first temple over there on the mountain and even the last temple which we see in vision in the in the book of revelation worship is the heart it's just like a golden thread 
in the in the tapestry of a various um, uh, kind of uh, colors and uh, and and the uh, and the concepts. Worship is the golden thread which goes, and that is the mostly which has been attacked, which has been misled and misconceived by the uh, by the opposite power by the darkness. Even the last attempt. Uh, in the temptation of Jesus Christ when uh, Satan came he the last attempt was you bow me and uh, I will give you whatever you know so that's the major challenge actually which wherever we have even in the final entry and the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ when the Pharisees and the Sadducees when they say that keep sh shut these kids shut them out why they are shouting Hosanna and why they are shouting Jesus said if they will shut down the stones will will shout out so uh, always those people who have power privilege those who have treasure those who have resources they try to shut Shut down the worship. They try to keep them muted, but that's what the purpose of the God, uh, purpose of our God and our existence, that we need to carry on worship, but not only worship for the sake of worship. Why we worship on this earth to make God known? Absolutely. To witness, and that is the purpose of the worship while our journey on this earth. Yep. So keep worshiping with this perception. That this is not only a worship, but this is a witness to the visible world and also to the invisible world. Thank you very much. Amen. God bless you. Well, thank you both for being here with us today. Um, I really enjoyed our time together and uh, we don't always get to see each other. So it's nice to see you. Uh, Majid, it was good to, to have you here. Thank you. Eric, thank you for being here. Uh, Majid, may I ask you to close us in prayer? Yes, of course. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves before your throne of mercy for this opportunity that uh, even being uh, so far away from each other in physical distance through this technology, we can come together and share our testimonies and our faith. Lord, we give you thanks for your love, your, your majesty, your power. And also, we give you thanks for, Lord, the humility and uh, the blessing it creates in us. Let us be worshipers that uh, can connect with you that we know you more and we express through our singing and we, we share who our God is through our singing with the world. And may the whole world be filled with your glory, Lord, and with your knowledge so that they may receive salvation. I give you thanks for my brother Stephen and brother Eric and their ministries. Bless them and bless their families and bless their ministries. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.